0: You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany.
1: Welcome to The Social Workers Radio Talk Show. I'm your co-host, Alyssa Lotmore. And with us today, we have two guests, Benjamin Brubaker and Kate Gillespie. Benjamin Brubaker works as an administrative coordinator of White Bird Clinic, He began serving White Bird in September 2006. Ben first started off as a full-time crisis worker on WBC's 24-7 crisis line and walk-in center. A few years later, he joined the mobile crisis intervention team, Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets, also known as CAHOOTS, as a crisis worker. He has worked in the mental health field for over 18 years, having held positions such as crisis worker, Hurricane Katrina relief operational site coordinator, day counselor for use, AmeriCorps team leader, and direct care provider. Ben is an active trainer at his agency and has a passion for sharing information about the CAHOOTS model with other communities interested in reimagining public safety. Kate Gillespie is a licensed clinical social worker and has worked for Whitebird since 2010 as a crisis worker, as well as a clinical supervisor and an administrator. She has worked in the mental health field for nearly two decades. Kate's background includes working in a state psychiatric hospital, local emergency departments, and crisis intervention for a mobile crisis unit. In addition to working at Whitebird, Kate has a private practice that focuses on healing trauma. Welcome.
0: Thanks for having us yeah thank
1: you and you are we're doing this via zoom because of they are not only because of covid but because you guys are calling in from oregon so welcome and thank you so much for i'm glad we could set this up with the time difference and everything so i wanted just to start off with uh tell us a little bit about white bird clinic which is the umbrella organization to the cahoots program
0: sure So Wiper Clinic has been here in Eugene, Oregon for over 50 years now. Um, The program originally started as an all-volunteer grassroots effort. Uh, A group of folks, uh, local folks from the community here, including some from the counterculture, some students from the U of O, as well as some local professionals, both medical and behavioral health professionals, uh, got together and, and, and noted that at that time period, 68, 69, um, there was a lot of folks who, uh, were, um, feeling pretty disenfranchised and alienated from kind of mainstream institutions. There was a lot of drug experimentation going on at that time period. Um, there was a lot of, um, folks kind of passing through town, um, and, and, and kind of more of a traveler culture emerging as well as just a local home, uh, population of folks who were homeless. And they felt like that that mixture of things was meaning that a lot of people were not getting uh, needs met. And if they did have a crisis or an emergency, they didn't feel comfortable reaching out to mainstream institutions uh, for help. And they were like, well, what if there was just a house with people, just people, that could assist and talk to them? And maybe they could help get them regrounded and, and you know, back on their feet. Or maybe they need a higher level of care. And now you have a group of people that could support you and advocate for you. So they worked to get a house and a phone line, open that 24 seven crisis walk-in and call-in center. Again, all volunteer run in the beginning. And that crisis line has not basically shut down since that time
1: for any Mm -hmm. period
0: of time. Um, From there, they then were in a place of noticing unmet community needs. So they saw a need for low cost, no cost medical care. So they drug a trailer in the backyard and made it a medical office to see people no cost, and got volunteer medical people to come in and help with that. Um, They noticed that people needed ongoing counseling in addition to the crisis services, so they developed a program to provide low-cost, no-cost counseling. And they continued throughout the last five decades basically looking out into the community at at unmet needs, places where there's holes in the safety net, because that's what a net is, it has holes, and seeing themselves as a safety net beneath the safety net. Um, at this point, Wiper Clinic is a larger organization, including uh, a medical clinic, a dental clinic, outpatient drug and alcohol treatment, benefits assistance, uh, case management for individuals experiencing homelessness, um, the CAHOOTS program um, that we can talk about more. That's our mobile crisis program, uh, the existing 24-hour uh, crisis line, um, and some outpatient drug and alcohol treatment. So a very big, wide umbrella of things, basically, that the organization now does.
1: That's amazing. And let's move into the CAHOOTS program, which again stands for Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets. Let's talk a little bit about that because I know you're both involved with this.
2: Yeah, so I'll go ahead and speak to that. And I first want to mention that our largest fundraising arm uh, historically has been what we call Rock Medicine. And Rock Medicine is a group of volunteer doctors, nurses, paramedics, and behavioral health folks that come together to go to places like the Oregon Country Fair, um, historically Grateful Dead shows, and provide medical and behavioral health support at those uh, events. So things like psychedelic harm reduction happen there. And the venue pays White Bird Clinic and all of those professionals volunteer their time and get to um, kind of have a supportive experience at the event. and we've been doing that ever since Whitebird Clinic started in 1969. So we had this um, model where we would send people out as a crisis worker and a medic together, because the thought even 50 years ago was we need to look at people holistically. We can't just assess somebody physically or um, emotionally. It's gotta it's gotta happen together. So when we were approached by the Eugene police department in 1989 uh, to respond to crisis calls as a, as a unit um, um, kind of like an umbrella branch of the public safety arm. We said, yeah, we would love to have crisis workers um, respond to calls for the Eugene police department, but we would like to have a medic with them. Um, and, and that would allow us to evaluate people in a more holistic way. And so that's how we got started in 1989 as a mobile crisis unit. So it's uh, tongue in cheek kind of cahoots because we do work sort of in, in conjunction and collaboration with the police department. Uh, but we also are crisis assistants helping out on the streets. Um, and that can be a little bit confusing Um because people sometimes assume that we predominantly work with the unhoused population. However, we are hundred percent funded by our public safety budget here. And that means that we're not billing insurance. We're able to serve all members of our community. So about 50% of the folks that we are serving are unhoused and the other 50% are not. And What I see that allowing us to do is a lot of prevention. So if people are struggling with a crisis situation where if they didn't get support, they may decompensate to the point of becoming unhoused, we're able to um, put a stop in that and help build structure around the person in the moment of their crisis. It's Um, it's important work. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and additionally, um, it makes it so we don't have any um, specific criteria that we have to meet when we're responding to a call um, outside of, is it safe for us to go there? Uh, so that being said, we are responding to, you know, of course, mental health crises. And that could be somebody who is contemplating suicide and doing some Uh, suicide prevention. It may just be somebody that's having some anxiety and needs someone to come talk to them. Uh, We definitely hit a lot of dual diagnosis situations where somebody may be actively using. Um, Other times it's responding to somebody who has been in recovery for five years and they're needing some support with that because they're having a rough day. Um, We respond to family situations. So sometimes it's Mediation with a family that's having a rough time with their 15 year old, and the family needs a little bit of outside support, um, and maybe they need connection with ongoing services. So, we're kind of the hub at White Bird Clinic. So, we're the hub of information and referral in our county. Um, people call in our crisis line, people call for our mobile crisis services, and we're able to help people get their needs met and have that the individuals involved in the situation, determine what their needs are, and really having the person describe to us what their solutions are. So we're really client-centered and rely on people to be the expert of their own lives.
1: Now, with everything that's been going on and all the emotional strain right now going on in our country with impacting so many individuals. Have you seen an uptick in the amount of people who are needing your services and also from perhaps other agencies looking to adopt some of the methods that you're doing?
0: I, you know, I'd say that the um, call types and some of the content of the calls are definitely um Uh, have some of those tensions and uh, confusions and, um, uh, you know, some of that stress and stuff that is going on across the country right now, both related to COVID as well as related to some of these issues around public safety and and how we want to reimagine that in our country. Um, Part of what has happened here recently because of those national dialogues is that we've experienced a huge uptick in the number of communities reaching out And so we're actually uh, I think in the last two months, have had almost 300 uh, different individuals, many of those different cities uh, reaching out, um, asking more about the CAHOOTS model in particular and how that might become part of uh, could become part of their strategy for responding to some of these very righteous and correct voices that are wanting to look at addressing institutional racism, um, as well as just to reimagine public safety um, through more of a human service or, or public health kind of lens.
1: And one, I think it's such an important thing that's happening right now with you, the work that you guys are doing. But you're also going to be helping other social workers because you do trainings as well and other mental health professionals. And that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the ways, I should say that I have been connected with you because you will be doing a virtual workshop with, at the University at Albany titled "Danger and Opportunity: Basic Crisis Intervention and Deescalation Skills." And you'll be doing that on October first in the evening. And I would just like to know a little bit more because I think I'm assuming the CAHOOTS uh, model is going to be incorporated a little bit in what you're going to be teaching the individuals attending the training. Can you just talk a little bit about what that training will look like and what people might expect?
0: I mean, I, I think I'll start real quick and just say that, you know, we, we talk a little bit about the history and the CAHOOTS model a little bit just to give people a background of kind of where we're coming from with our experiences. Um, I will note up front that our approach, many people come to these kinds of trainings hoping for a script. Uh, If the person says, A, you do B, and it'll all work out great, um, that's not our experience. Uh, We find that it's it's more improv. Um, It's more about presence and being present with the person in front of you. And that ultimately, it really starts with who you are as an individual. That who you are... And what you believe is going to determine the quality of your intervention. And really getting folks to do some of that self-reflection up front. And then beyond that, we also look at tips, techniques, you know, philosophies that we find have been effective, that we train our workers in, that we teach people all across um, our community here and across the state. Um, But we also note within that that it doesn't always work. And that you also have to note that sometimes uh, the more you are attached to outcome, the more that you decide that you need to control the situation and force it in a certain direction, the worse that intervention um, is going to go. And that you actually stand a, lo- a lot of uh, a chance of, of creating a more escalated situation.
1: Well, these so are all are important things that I
0: kind of pull out.
1: Yeah. And I know in the, when I was reading the description, some of the things you've mentioned were uh, scene safety, de-escalation strategies, rapport building, as you said, the role of self in any intervention and the importance of debriefing. So these are all critical components to being able to have that, I guess, proper crisis response or something that won't escalate a situation to something that could be harmful or, or dangerous.
2: Yeah, and, and with that is kind of like knowing one's limits. So we really focus on on knowing your own limits and then also like having uh, what we call a tap out culture at Whitebird. So if I am doing a crisis intervention and maybe I've kind of escalated with the individual that I'm trying to de escalate, um, Ben might come up to me and say, Hey, Kate, I got this. And I may not agree with him. You know, oftentimes when we're, when we've hit that escalated point, we, we want to argue. And so at our agency, we really train our staff. Like if someone says, Hey, I got this. It means they're taking, they're passing it to themselves and it's time for you to take a step back. And we can argue about that later after the intervention's Mm -hmm. done, um, because we do a lot of debrief. And so we really believe in this tap out and, and I can tap myself out and be like, Hey Ben, um, can you step in here? Because I need to tap out um, or he could tap me out. And so really just kind of knowing what your limits are is it's valuable and and essential in any kind of crisis situation.
1: That's such an important thing yeah. because I remember when I first started practicing after grad school, there were certain times where I, I felt like the situation was escalating when I was working with a client. It's just really important to know that it's not, you're not a bad social worker. And that's something when I first started, I was like, why, how come I can't handle a crisis with this student, but I was in the school setting, but I can do it with these individuals and why does somebody else need to step in? It was just sort of realizing that sometimes the other individual who was of my colleague had better rapport or yeah. they were able to, the, the student just needed someone else to, to step in at that time. So I'm glad that you're talking about that because sometimes we personalize it thinking it's us, that we can't do it. But re- really it's how do we just accept the fact and have that in that culture that we need to have other people, this team, to to sometimes de-escalate a situation.
2: Yeah, and I one time, you know, was doing a crisis intervention with somebody who was having some psychosis going on and i introduced myself as a crisis counselor and she was like i hate counselors i don't want to talk to you and i go well my partner here is a medic and you know my medic partner was able to have a great rapport with the person and handled the situation and i just took a step back and it's okay to not be the tool that works for everything
0: right and where that person's at in their level of intoxication with whatever behavioral health issues they might be experiencing whatever traumas they've had like all of that's going to play into it a lot too um you know as well as you might remind them of their ex-wife or ex-husband and that's not your fault but noticing that and not trying to barrel ahead is probably a good practice for yourself and your own safety and, and and well-being but also for them and then it's also, I think, a little healthy self-reflection after any intervention is good. But I find that sometimes people kind of carry that forward with them. Um, and then the next intervention, that thing that didn't go well is spinning around in their head. Well, now you're less present for that new person in front of you because you're still carrying that old thing that didn't work out that last time and, and potentially basing your decision's reactions off of it. You know, I think there's an old Zen story about uh, how life is, is like riding a horse. But constantly worrying and, and agonizing about life uh, is like taking a horse and putting it on top of the first horse and trying to ride them both at the same time. Yeah, um, and so we talk a lot about that, about how you keep yourself try to keep yourself grounded and clear for that person in front of you. And indeed, most of the most transformative, cathartic kinds of crisis interventions that I've been a part of, I don't really feel like I did that much. Mm-hmm. Besides, mm-hmm. stayed present with the person in front of me. You know, and that also speaks to our empowerment model. You know, we talk uh, a lot about what we call uh, avoiding affl- inflicting help. Okay. Forcing um, help on somebody. Yep. Deciding oh. that you're the know-it-all professional that's going to come in and tell them how to change their life. And there's just going to be this transformative experience that will change the whole course of their day. We believe everybody's their own expert in their own life. They probably already have the answers inside of themselves. They probably experienced the things that they're going through in that moment previously And our role is to take more of a maybe Socratic method kind of approach of asking questions and open-ended questions and guiding the intervention with the least amount of intervention necessary to just facilitate a safe and healthy process for everyone, both the individual you're working with and yourself.
1: This seems like a really exciting workshop because the things that you're talking about right now, it... It's beneficial not just for social workers or those in the mental health profession, but anyone who's working with individuals that might be in a crisis situation where they need to de-escalate a situation and knowing how to handle that in a way that is safe for everybody. Um, just looking at the news right now, it's there's so many situations where we need more de-escalation and how do we just meet individuals where they are to not have something turn into an unsafe situation.
0: You know, and, and I think part of the, you know, the name of it is, is that, that danger and opportunity is really true of any crisis. There, there's both a, the chance for a catharsis and for somebody to really um, move through what's going on for them and, and head off into a better direction because it's there and present and on the surface for them, um, or there's the danger of re-traumatizing the individual in front of you. You come to the intervention with judgment and prejudice and stuff like that and, and put that on the other individual, now you've just done more harm. Um, you know, as well as for it to escalate in a way that could even be um, dangerous for the individual that's trying to step in and assist, you know, and so that's, again, why we do also do focus a lot on scene safety and and self-safety, because we know that some of the work that we do uh, can be dangerous at times if people don't approach it with the right amount of seriousness and caution.
1: Now, like I said, you're going to be doing an upcoming training Uh, on October 1st. And for those interested, you can register on the School of Social Welfare's website, www.aubany.edu backslash SSW and find the continuing education page. But this is a podcast and I know if individuals might listen to this after the date, if people do want to learn more about your work and the, the cahoots, you know, the model and all of that you are teaching with the crisis intervention and de-escalation skills, how can they find out more information?
2: So people can look us up on the internet, Um, whitebirdclinic.org is our web address. And there's information about our agency and all of our various programs, as well as how to get trainings with us.
1: As we wrap up, is there anything that you'd like to to add to our discussion or for individuals who might, you know, be social workers or other mental health professionals and are looking to just develop their their toolkit in terms of, you know, there's so many times I've been in a situation where I was unsure of, I questioned myself if I had the skills to to address this in a way that was the best way. And I think even as we continue to develop our toolbox, there's no like you had said, you can't only focus on outcomes because every time it's not always going to work in a textbook way. So is there any message you have to individuals who are wanting to gain more experience and skills in terms of developing these uh, crisis intervention methods?
2: Well, I think that uh, our disclaimer is you can do your absolute best crisis work and still not have the outcome you hoped for. Um, And, that is because we only have control over ourselves, and even that can be limited. So, having compassion for yourself and those around you is going to be the, the best advice I can offer.
0: Well, I want to thank. People you- are looking. Oh, sorry. And if people are looking for other modalities and things like that, you know, we we find that we kind of call the the approaches that we've used kind of a client centered approach or more humanistic approach. Um, but we also think that the, um, the, uh, one of the more latest uh, kind of buzzwords and, and, and training modalities that, that we feel like dovetails with, with ours is uh, trauma-informed care. And uh, we know that that's a, a widely spread model across the nation. I would encourage people to check that out because, again, a lot of that goes to really understanding trauma, both how it impacts the individual providing the service, but also the individuals that you might be serving. Um, and so that's just a couple of them. Uh, mental health first aid also is another one that some people are familiar with that I feel like is very similar uh, in approach and strategy if people are looking for stuff in their area
1: well I want to thank you both for coming on and talking about this work that you're doing and I'm really excited for your upcoming workshop at the University of Albany again we were joined by Benjamin Brubaker and Kate Gillespie thank you so much
2: thank you
0: You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany.